You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. From the newsroom at Eater, I'm Amanda Clute. And I'm Daniel Janine. And this is Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. With a little help from the biggest names in the world of food and the journalists here at Eater, we try to understand what's happening right now in kitchens, restaurants, and dining rooms around the world. Today on the show, we've got Maria Sharapova in the studio, tennis all-star, to talk about candy entrepreneurship, her favorite restaurants, traveling around the world. Yeah, I really loved being here. Daniel was out of town, (laughs) so I got to hang out with Maria one-on-one. It was the best. Wow. You really missed a great day. And then later, we're getting into the biggest stories of the week. We're talking John George's empire, Mm -hmm. talking Michelin stars. We're talking a disgruntled chef. And a, and a fiery exit from one of the most legendary department stores in New York City. And the the brand new circular pizza hut, pizza box. Oh man, there's so much to get to. What an app. Jeez. Anyway, uh, let's get into it. On the show, we have Tennis All-Star and the founder and CEO of Sugar Pova, Maria Sharapova. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm a huge fan. Awesome. We're a huge fan of yours. So Thank many people you. are excited that you're in the office today. So we're, we're going to have to like, take you on a tour. What is Maria doing? <laughs> this well, podcast. I tell people that I was meeting you today. They're like, what? She has a candy line, obviously. Yeah, your viewers are probably like, what is Maria Sharapova what? doing on this podcast? But also, you are a huge restaurant lover, I if am. I'm not mistaken. I'm just a big foodie. Yeah. I mean, I grew up loving food because I was in my grandmother's kitchen from a very Mm. young age. And she actually, when I wanted to help her work on the ingredients or put things in or mix it myself, she would be like, no, this is not the career path I want you to take. (laughs) So she would actually always like guide me away from the kitchen. But I always had this like curiosity for tasting different foods and ingredients. And that's the best, one of the best things about travel. I've just been spent a few weeks in Bordighera in Italy, um, north of Italy, and just the simple, like, casual places that are so unexpected that where you go in and you just have a mom and pop cooking pasta and adding a little bit of truffle and, you know, they have their local cheese and their local milks and the heavy cream and just seeing all of that come together. I think those are the best experiences, not necessarily particular restaurants, but those are the memories that I draw from on food. When you're traveling for tennis tournaments, do you get to eat out much or are you pretty regimented in, in what you're consuming and your training? Kind of depends what, what city and where we're staying. In London this year, we had um, an incredible um, chef come over because mm-hmm. at Wimbledon, you usually stay in home. So I stay with my team and my family. And um, we just had farm to table food um, every single day. And that was that was a real treat, and that doesn't happen very often because mm. it's hard to find kitchens and and constant hotels that you that I end right. up living in. And in New York, where you spend a lot of time, mm. any restaurants you want to call out? 
Ooh, um, I'm lo- I'm usually calling out restaurants I haven't tried yet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what's on your to do list? Um, is it Missy? My Missy. The oh, Missy. Yeah. Missy. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I want to try that. I'm still longing to find a soup dumpling place. So maybe you can help oh, me with okay. that. Okay, we will we will provide you with right. a bunch of. Um, so I, I visit Marivana a lot because it's a Russian mm-hmm. hot spot for me and just makes me feel like I'm close to home. What do you what do you get at Marivana? I get the borscht. I get the um, if it's in season, the cherry dumplings mm. and uh, the potato dumplings. Awesome. And they uh, sometimes the blends with like sour cream or a little bit of caviar. Yeah, and I love vodka? All of it. I'm not a big vodka lover, but I have in the last two years like, Love trying different cocktails and kind of seeing what I like, but I'm not a I can't do straight up vodka. Right. No, definitely not. Hmm. Not the true Russian or Ruski that people expect me <laughs> to be. So disappointed in you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was reading a food diary that you did for Grub Street, mm-hmm. and you were mentioning how much you love Felix mm-hmm. and how hard it is to get into, right. and how so you would show up at 5:15, and then one night you yes. went and you just waited at the bar a long time. Do you not have someone who could just get you into these places? I feel like that's part of like being a food lover okay. is the process is not just the food but like getting there. So, so you are not skipping the line. Actually, you were just like particular mm-hmm. no, this particular instant we were my friend and I were just walking around Venice. We didn't really have an agenda and we went to Felix early because we knew we didn't have a reservation, so mm-hmm. we'd have no chance. Walked in, there are two seats at the bar and close to finishing our dinner, um, a gentleman next to me was like, have you um, tried that restaurant at Sh- uh, that was featured on Chef's Table in Russia yet? Mm-hmm. And I was like, God, oh, that's a random, random question. <laughs> because he knew that you yeah, love he knew food? That I, well, he knew that I was Russian, yeah. and he, he thought that maybe, you know, we're at Felix, and maybe that I'd been there. Right. And he's White like, Rabbit, oh, we've right? Been, yes. Yeah. And he's like, I've seen, I've been to almost all of the Chef's Table restaurants. Oh, my God. And I was like, well, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> so we started talking about food, and he's like, have you been to this little Japanese steakhouse, Totoraku, mm-hmm. in, in Los Angeles? And I was like, no, what is that? He's like, oh, well, you'll find out. And he's like, you got to know the chef to get in. So next thing you know, he's like putting the contact details of Chef Kaz into my phone. And he's like, you got to try this place out. So finished dinner and I'm like, God, that's so random. I wonder if this place even exists. Mm -hmm. So I Google it. I'm like, yep, this is like a very non-discreet place um, on Pico in Los Angeles. Looks like nothing from the outside. And then there's this like a pretty much a one-man show inside of a Japanese steak grill. Um, so I write to the chef, and I say, I have some family in town, four of us. Any chance we can get in? He's like, yes, come on over. And so we went like a week later, and it was honestly one of the best food experiences wow. that uh, we had. And I, was, I looked back at that moment, and I was like, if I had never sat at the bar yeah. and just walked in casually and you know having a nice little time with my friend and would, you know would have never walked into this guy and never gotten that recommendation. So, yeah, th- that's part of the food experience. And also just being open to having that conversation with a stranger like that. Yes. Which usually happens when you eat alone, which is yep. also very odd mm-hmm. and strange. But I kind of love it. I feel like you focus on food, you focus on the purpose of why you're there. And, and sometimes when you're talking so much, you like almost forget what you're, what yes. you're eating. <laughs> But yeah, that's so funny. What about when you are training? What kinds of foods are you eating? I am I'm pretty regimented. You know, I have I would say an 80 to 20 like percent work balance where, you know, 80% of the time I'm very diligent with what I eat from when I wake up to the water, the amounts of water that I drink. You know, I start my day off with 
probably half a liter of water with lemon. Having that routine in the morning, there's little routines that I feel like are very important mm-hmm. in life, but generally with food because they kind of get you back on track to feeling well. And then I indulge for 20% of the time <laughs> <laughs> because you have to. And is indulging for you is that candy or sweets? Is it wine? It's kind of, I think my first like pleasures of indulgence in the, like in the kitchen was with my grandmother when she would bake and um, like the apple tarts and even the dumplings, which were like the sweet version. She would uh, pick the cherries um, mm-hmm. off the garden. She'd make her own jam with the cherries and then she'd make the dough. And then she just put these like two, two sides together, create these dumplings. And then, you know, in an hour you'd have this like beautiful <laughs> indulgent moment. So whenever I do eat sweets, I always think, think back to that but um it is a little bit of candy occasionally or like a chocolate bar I don't know I just feel like sometimes you need it mm-hmm. you need it to get back right to feeling oh, okay I treated myself I really worked for this and that's probably why I started Sugar Pova in the first place was I know it's such a strange like concept of being an athlete but um I think I give myself an opportunity and to many others um to feel like it's okay to embrace the fact that you're not a hundred percent all in, all the time. Right. You have to give yourself a break for your mind, for your body, for your confidence. Um, it's good for you. Well, especially as an athlete, you, you're so healthy. Like You are very aware of what you're putting in your body and how much energy you're exerting. So I feel like you probably have a good sense of when you can indulge and when you shouldn't. Yeah, I just finished like a four-week training block in Italy, and I said... Like on my last day, I said the last day, um, my last meal, I want to have pizza. Like I was there for four <laughs> weeks and I didn't have one slice of oh pizza. Oh my god, <laughs> not one. I had a lot of pasta, but mm-hmm. I didn't have pizza. And I was like, okay, please take me to just like, a local spot. And we went to this. Honestly, I thought it might have been. It it was probably the, one of the best pizza experiences I've had. And they had these combinations of mortadella with ricotta cheese, and it just came out like on these pans, and it was. It was amazing. It was exactly what I had pictured my last day of training <laughs> to include. I love that. Uh, so you're a restaurant lover and a foodie. Do you find the other athletes on tour with you are also, or are people more, I don't know, focused on yeah. cooking at home well, and the their best, personal chefs? Yeah, I think the best part, some actually do have consistent um, chefs, and sometimes they travel with their family who also ends up cooking a lot. Mm-hmm. But I, I love, you know, I love venturing out. And especially when you find good quality restaurants, there's no reason why you shouldn't go back to it. And you definitely, I have my favorites and I have my go-tos. Like, okay, I have a Grand Slam tournament coming up. And there's definitely go-to restaurants that I know are reliable, where the food tastes great, mm-hmm. where I'm happy, where the serve, where you almost know the people. And it's like a family environment and you're, you enjoy yourself and you relax awesome. without the wine. Right. <laughs> And to talk a little bit about Sugar Pova, why did you want to start your own business and why did you focus on candy? Well, tennis was, I mean, had always and still is like a huge part of my life since I was a very young girl. And um, at 21, I had shoulder surgery and something that I thought would like continue forever because that's all I knew how to do kind of almost stopped. And I really didn't know if I'd be able to get it back again or play again. And I kind of already had like two feet in, in business because I was part of brands. I did a lot of advertisement mm, work, sponsorships, um, sponsorship yeah. stuff. And at the end of all of it, it was like I was just a very small piece of the end result. You know, mm-hmm. I was either the face or I contributed in some of the marketing or in my opinion or design aspect. Right, but you didn't get but to I own it. But I never had like full control. And 
And I think like as an athlete, like when you're out on the court and you're competing, everything is like in your hands. And that's such an amazing feeling. And I think I wanted to incorporate that into like my business venture. And Sweets was just this memory and the name Sugar Pova came about. And I started the line with gummies because gummies was something I saw in America for the first time, never seeing it back in Russia. So I thought of it as a souvenir. I remember bringing it back to my friends and showing them all these different shapes and colors. <laughs> Little did I know they're all artificial flavors mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and not great for you. But um, but I loved that like feeling of buying something that I didn't want to throw away as I checked out and just put in my mouth. I thought of bring it home as a present. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of where the idea evolved. We started with gummies and now we, we're doing truffles and chocolates and we just um, we just launched our all-natural gummy line. With all-natural, how did you overcome the challenge of using the ingredients you want to use but also having it look and taste and feel the way you want it to taste? Because I know with, usually with those ingredients you end up with not the not bright, so bright good. colors. Well, that's the thing about candy is you want to, and, and I know from like my own, I mean, you can only draw on your own experience and what you like and don't like. Of course, you're also reaching out to a consumer, but I know that if I tried a piece of candy and I am rewarding myself and it doesn't taste good, I don't really think I'm going to be a repeat customer and I yeah. don't think I'm going to give it to anyone that I know because I didn't really like it. Um, and if I'm going to try to be healthy, I'll eat healthy. And if I want to indulge it, rather it tastes good. So putting those two together was not easy at all. And in this this line of the natural gummies, it took like two years to create wow. because part of it was also seeing what others were doing. And when I started the line, a lot of it was like for me to be in Paris at Colette was very mm. cool you know, <laughs> to be at this like $8 or mm-hmm. 9 euro price point. I was like, oh, that's really cool. But you don't make money at being right. by Colette. <laughs> like it's a great marketing tool. And then over the years, um, people were paying more for good quality ingredients and products. And so, but it takes time to create like a good tasting gummy bear Mm. um, that's made like our blue raspberries um, made with a superfood. And that's how you get um, the spirulina. That's Mm -hmm. how we got that bluish greenish color. Oh, that's fun. Um, So it's finding those combinations that was difficult to create and candy's an impulse purchase. Like we see it, it's bright, it's colorful, we want it, especially with gummies. And to create that with natural ingredients that are more like pale and that are not as bright was one of the biggest challenges. Interesting. And I know that you, in your international travels, like to try candies from around the world. Are there any favorites you want to call out or any Russian candies that you love? Um, we have a Russian wafer that's, um, in, in Russian, it's called like a little bear. Um, I don't know if there's like a brand name, <laughs> but it's known as a little bear. I still love the Kinder eggs with mm. the surprises. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll treat, I'll treat myself to one of those when I'm at an airport, even though they like sell them by six. Right. <laughs> I'm like I just want one, but I guess I'll have five in the next month. <laughs> and you, you sell in a lot of airports. Can you yeah. talk about that strategy of, yeah. of going the airport route versus some other way of distributing the candy? Yeah. So that was. Um, placing it in airports was quite strategic because you have a lot of travelers, you have a lot of, you know, we're also not just direct to consumer, we're also in a retail business, so we go through distributors. So it's also like a viewing, a viewership for distributors that travel a lot that, and because our branding is fun and we have a fun lip logo, um, it's really like it catches the eye. And I think that's been a lot, we get a lot of 
compliments and a lot of feedback from people that see it in airports. I'm like, oh, they pick it up and, oh, this could be interesting in Mexico or this Mm. could be interesting for Spain. So that's been really, really fun. And I'm such, you know, I travel all the time. So seeing my product at Hudson News is is. It's surreal. Right. You are in Shark Tank? I'm going to be. Yes, okay, so you, you, you're going on Shark Tank. What is that experience like? Oh, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, because I, I've i watched every single episode for the last few years, and I've always watched the show thinking that while I was starting the brand mm-hmm. of Sugar Pova, I thought, oh, what would I say or mm-hmm. how would I pitch <laughs> or what would I do? And I found myself on the show not pitching my product, but as a guest shark. Mm-hmm. So that I think that kind of seeing myself and like, see, I don't know, seeing it from the sidelines is like as if someone put me on the TV screen. Right. But then I was, it felt so real. Like the whole, the whole show, I mean, it, it's non-scripted. Nothing about it seems, you know, like TV sometimes seem like it's you have an audience and you're trying to cater to an audience. Right. But it felt very real while I was on the show. And I think that's what was really fun was by the 10th pitch, I was like, I can do this all day long. Like, I love, <laughs> Hire I me love, full time. No, seriously. <laughs> um, you see like the energy in people's eyes and like mm-hmm. the ambition that they have. And and I think the products that people are coming out with and the ideas are getting better and better with each season. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think all of us are like. There's at one point we're like all fighting for this deal. I love that. <laughs> so know? it is really real. Like you, it's very real. It's you your want own, to invest in this product. And you're investing your own money, which I think many people don't realize. Like wow. It's your own money out there that you're. So this is very, very real. Did you feel you were empathizing with the entrepreneurs more now that you've been through all this? I kind of feel like I've gone through every single mistake that they speak about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I relate a lot, um, especially with the consumer good products that came on the show that mm-hmm. were pitching at, right. on that day. Because I, from distribution to the factory to the product to the R and D, mm-hmm. I was like, oh boy, yep. <laughs> I've been there before. Yeah, and like, you don't is, even know what's coming for you. Is, I know you travel the world quite a bit right. for work. And what are some of the favorite destinations you go to just for the food? When you know you're going there, you're like, oh, I'm going to eat so much good stuff. Let me get my phone out because I really, I, I have, I'm terrible with names. Do you also have like a list of yeah, places I feel like that you <laughs> I have like a to. spreadsheet and, a, and, my, um, and then my notes tab is full of restaurants. Okay. I'll start with Paris. Mm. Classic. Um, Paris. Mm. <laughs> Very classic. Had an amazing meal um, at Bouvette recently. Mm. I mean, Chez La Mijon is always like a classic. And when I come with friends, I feel like you kind of have to go there just for the French fries. Right. I've traveled so much this year. Okay. So Tippo Zero Zero in Melbourne was one of my favorites. Carlton Wine Room I had an amazing meal there. And you know, I love that it's like an Italian wine bar scene, so you don't necessarily have to sit at the table. And sitting at the bar actually has the the best experiences. I love going and getting coffee at Pellegrini's Espresso Bar, the Marion Wine Bar in Fitzroy. That was amazing. So say those are my Melbourne awesome. Melbourne spots. And other great food cities. Do you get to Asia much? Do you get to eat? I Japan. I love Japan, but I haven't explored Japan like on a culinary level, mm-hmm. and I would love to do that. That's actually on my bucket list oh, um, awesome. of doing Kyoto in the month of April and seeing the cherry blossoms and staying in Ryokan. So, yeah, that's definitely a to-do Good. thing. 
I love that you, like the rest of us, have just a long list of all the restaurants you want to try. <laughs> I really do. That's the great thing about travel is you mm-hmm. start with the restaurant and then you're like, where do I go from here? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Book the reservation and then you find the hotel. That's right. Thank you, Maria, for Thank taking you for having the time. Me. And you. we are, I'm getting my team to compile you some Xiaolong Bao rec so you can Fantastic. get some soup dumplings yes, when you're in New York. I would love that. Uh, and yeah, the Sharapova, the new flavors are out now. Yes, they are. Online or in an airport near you? Yes, at Michael's and Dick's Sporting Goods. and Oh, all over the place. Yeah, kind of everywhere. Cool. Thank (laughs) you so much. Thank you for having me. We'll be right back with the biggest food stories of the week. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's time for the biggest stories of the week. We separate them with the sound of a ding like this. Let's get into it. There is a store called Barney's. (laughs) I'm sure you've heard of it. Why do you think I've heard of it? Because it's very famous. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going through some troubles. In general? Oh, yeah. Huge financial collapse. I think they extended the auction on who might save it or buy it to next Monday. So mm-hmm. still a little bit up in the air, but basically huge crash for Barney. It's very sad for many people. For you? The reason, not for me. The reason it's interesting to me mm-hmm. is there's a restaurant called Fred's at Barney's, and the chef was just fired in a very spectacular fashion. Mm. Yeah, I know you read these stories in the New York Post, so I would love to just get into it. He went out in a blaze of glory. Uh, He sure did. He sure (laughs) did. What was interesting is earlier this week, the chef from Fred's at Barney's 
His name is Mark Straussman. He founded the restaurant in 1996. He announced that he was opening a new spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in that announcement, he just kind of tore into Barney's. Yeah. Give me your favorite lines. He was mainly talking about how they were micromanaging him, how they would take the chicken livers off the menu, how they would change the coffee brand with no reason, how they basically just like didn't know what they were doing. I was watching what that was going on, and it was clear that I needed to look out for my family and find another gig, another deal. I'm really excited to start a new restaurant. I felt that I was being marginalized, and that's why I did this. Mm-hmm. Fred's is very successful, but unfortunately, we can't pay all the rent, and the store has had a lot of problems, blah, blah, blah. So, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't blah, blah, blah. It's oh, like when one part of your body uh-huh. is fine, even though the other part isn't well. Yeah. Like, Can restaurant's I just... great, store's a piece of shit. Oops. <laughs> so, not so surprisingly, yeah, he got fired for using the New York Post as a way to announce his new project while slamming his current employers. Yeah. So then he's in the New York Post, you know, like the next day, talking about how he was fired. And, <laughs> and he continues to slam them and says they couldn't even fire him right. He's talking about how they, you know, shut down his email, but his key card still worked. So he could still oh, get back yeah. into the building and everyone gave him a standing ovation. <laughs> it's just such yeah. good drama. Uh, I want to talk about the unique relationship that frequent Barney's shoppers and like, you know, the ladies who lunch crowd, mm-hmm. the Upper East Side wealthy people have with Barney's and the food there. Because, like, it's not a restaurant that we would ever go to, but you talk to the right person and they're like, the only kale salad I'll eat is at Fred's. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, so- they have some quotes from some anonymous regulars that <laughs> yeah. said, he's the toast of the town. <laughs> <laughs> Another one said, Mark made that place. They should have more loyalty. Yeah. So when I first was like, hey, Amanda, this is a funny story. We should talk about it. You're like, this guy knew what he was doing. He was playing the long game. Yeah. He was generating publicity for his new restaurant. And uh, I don't think so. Really? I, yeah, no way. This guy's just a salty dude. Just a salty guy. If you think about how isolated this guy was over the years, uh-huh. always hearing from everyone like, oh, Mark, you're the best chef in the world. Like, this place doesn't deserve you. You know, he's not really in the same scene. He's not really getting genuine responses to his, you know, creative art. He probably, he might think he's a god and he was just like, trash that place on the way out. They didn't respect my talents. Going to a new place. You know, people were contacting him for the first time in a while. We should have talked to this guy a year ago and been like, how's Barney's? He would have might have been like, piece of shit. My restaurant's great. That store is awful. Oh, I bet the New York Post reporter has been going to Barney's forever. <laughs> and she he was like talking to her and he's like, hey, I got to get out of here and, and let me announce my new place with you. Mm-hmm. And to make it interesting, because she's probably like, uh, no, I'm not going <laughs> to. Like, Why would I do that story? Sure. You have a new restaurant. We'll put yourself in her shoes, you know? Yeah, so I'm saying if I'm her, I'll say, what else you got? Make it a little more interesting for me. Really? Yeah. And then he'll be like, well, I hate Barney's. He'll be like, now we're talking. (laughs) Now we're talking. Let's turn on the tape recorder. (laughs) Now, I think that Barney's has enough enough juice, especially in the closing of Barney's. Barney's has some juice right now, yeah. They've got juice, you know? I think that if, if they called us and it was just a straight story, Chef of longtime chef of Barney's of Fred's at Barney's uh-huh. is leaving to open or is opening his own restaurant. Uh-huh. I feel like that's enough of a story. No, 
Wow. I mean, you are the expert. No, I mean, even look at the look at Eater New York and how they wrote it up. It was like a little side thing. <laughs> Should we have him on? Sure. He sounds like so much fun. Does he seem kind of like Bagel Boss to you a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> can I also say that, can you take it seriously when a chef is in a portrait, when they have their chef jacket with a fancy blazer on top? I love the picture of him in his chef jacket with a blazer. <laughs> I love it. With a with a little, it's not a pocket square. What is that? Oh, that's a kerchief. Yeah. Yeah, there's a kerchief in his pocket. Where did, how did kerchief start? I don't know. Some Let's people not get into it. <laughs> Great story coming out of Wired magazine um, at an Outback Steakhouse franchise, Surveillance Blooms. Oh, yeah. That's a blooming onion wow. pun. Yikes. It's not even a pun, really. How do you nope. feel about puns? Do you love them? <laughs> I love them. You know I do. <laughs> I hate puns now. You know, I came in real hot and heavy on puns. And I was like, please, for the love of You've God, You've changed stop. me, yeah, a little bit with that. They're lazy humor, I think. Mm-hmm. But that's fine. So Outback has deployed this system of AI that they're using to track their server efficacy. Yep. People are up in arms about it, obviously, because, you know, no one likes to be watched. Mm-hmm. It's very, very big brother. Uh, I thought I would explain the actual technology to you a little bit. because love when you explain things to me. Yeah. That's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. The way it works is it's just an overhead cam, all right? Relax, you uh-huh. know, futurists. Just an overhead, no facial recognition that divides the dining room into little quadrants and it's just tracking how much time each server spends with each table just mm-hmm. to make sure that tables are getting touched enough. Basically, you know how much they're getting uh, hey how odd you, you know? Uh-huh. I am not excited about it. I think that that it kills the mag- the magic of serving for me is when you get a great server it just makes your life and you know what I don't need mm-hmm. I don't need this but it's 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 kind it's interesting that that it, with all the technological opportunities that this is what they've chosen to employ and also that they uh, decided to write about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, have you ever worked at one of those big chains? I have never worked at a big chain. Because I've worked ways, at a, a diner. The ways that those servers are already so regulated and tracked that this is not that much of a change yeah. my, in my mind. Like they already have systems. Like there's a um, program called Avera where they track just every single data point they can about the server and like what they sell and how they sell it and when they sell it and time of day mm-hmm. so you can put your best sellers on the floor at the best time yeah. and optimize for A-team. all that. I mean, even. When I was working at Friendly's, like, I don't know, decade and we a half ago. We need a little ago. music cue for when you talk about Friendly's. <laughs> Ding! Yeah. Uh, whenever I talk about culinary school and whenever you talk yes, about like, Friendly's. Yes, like, just so you know, I worked at Friendly's. We would have mystery shoppers. I was a mystery shopper for a little while Ooh. after college. Yeah. Uh, I knew someone that was a mystery shopper. Yeah. She's dead now. Oh, wow. Yikes. <laughs> uh, so at, at those places, you Sorry. are so, you are so tracked. Yeah. You know, when you mystery shop, you fill out this form. It takes hours to fill it out. And Mm -hmm. it's like, how many seconds between when you sat down and when the server came over, did they announce themselves by name? Like, how long did it take for your water glass to be filled? Mm -hmm. When you went to the bathroom, like, sometimes you have to put something on the floor and then you go back and see if it's picked up. And all this stuff, it it (laughs) takes humans instead of cameras. Yeah. But it's still, the the idea of being tracked has been employed for a long time. Mm Mm-hmm. Relatedly, Ooh, make, wait, okay, what? No, keep, give me. This immediately made me think of uh, one. Like, I don't know if it if it 
breeds the best hospitality because you never know when you cling on to us when you have a great thing with a server and then they're with you a lot and you know they're mm-hmm. just enjoying their time because they find you hilarious oh my god i'm just kidding i'm joking that? i'm joking but you know what this made me think of this is what leads to waitresses getting hit on all the time well that's not me okay uh-huh. what this makes me think of though is it's just monitoring the amount of time that the physical body spends in the presence of the table yeah so they I could j- be saying so anything i just well yeah like yeah fuck you <laughs> but i just imagine they kind of just like wander around the restaurant like frankenstein just stand Here next I to the am. table for a second and then walk away and mm. the table's just like excuse what me the sir what was that yeah yeah so yeah, they're not really evaluating quality of the time yeah just the time outback is not the only brand playing in the space, McDonald's has launched McD Tech Labs Ooh. in Silicon Valley to try to test out all of the AI. That sure sounds fun. Uh-huh. And other technological advances that they can make. Ronald Mc so watching you. They are trying to program the boards that when you go through the drive-through, the menu boards mm-hmm. based on time of day, based on the based on the weather, also based on like your license plate number what you've ordered in the past, Mm -hmm. like all this crazy shit. So I think that is a little creepier. Wait, you find it creepier that McDonald's is using AI technology to change menus? I think that any kind of human interaction that is controlled by AI or monitored by, uh, by AI is infinitely creepier. You know, because like the video how f- camera versus the yeah. it's all creepy. How far but... off are we from tracking diner smiles? You know, like uh-huh. how many times did you make them laugh? I maybe that's the next the next thing. But marketing to you based on your habits and getting you to buy more, consume more, that's where the money could be made. The Michelin stars for New York City, New York, New York region came out this week. The new development is that they are extending their reach beyond the five boroughs to include Westchester, mainly so they can include Blue Hill at Stone Barns, noted to be one of the best restaurants in the country. Oh, yeah. So they finally got their two stars. They got there, too. Nice, right? Next year, they'll probably get three. <gasps> yeah, I bet they will. I bet they will. Gotta. Do you know a better restaurant in they New York? They changed the boundaries to give them stars, yeah. just to bling them up. Like... What else? 11 Madison Park, per se, Massa, and not include Blue What is this Blue face Hill? you're making here? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, what? Those places and not Blue Hill Stone Barns? Yeah. Seems insane. I love Blue Hill. I love Dan Barber. Mm-hmm. I fully support them. But I loved, I kind of loved the fact that they were so obviously left off the list. Yeah. It made the restaurant feel like it was even more of an outlier than it already was. You know, like. By it, not having Michelin stars? Just that it wasn't even in the purview of right. Michelin. Like it was just kind of out there. I mean, it's not that far. It's like 40 minutes away from the city, yeah. but it made it feel like you were going out of the realm of Michelin into totally. the, you know, the Badlands or whatever. But I think did kind of delegitimize the list and that they weren't even going outside the five boroughs. I mean, the list is a, it's a, like, there is no more three Michelin starred restaurant for me. Right. Well, per se is the most Michelin y of the restaurants. Like, I don't even think that of of that is best. I think that Uh of of that is most perfect, most like where you would find the the best wine list, the long, I'm not best, but longest, most expansive wine list Mm -hmm. with the most expensive bottles, exactly what's expected. Different, you know, napkins switching. All the tablecloths. Yeah, and the servers wearing and the, yeah. 
well-hemmed tuxedos, <laughs> you know. So in a sense, like Blue Hill is not the most Michelin restaurant. But if I if when I think of what I like the, my romantic idea of what Michelin should represent, especially mm-hmm. if it's like what restaurants should I be traveling to? Right. There is no restaurant that deserves it more in, than Blue Hill and Starbucks. Blue Hill and Starbucks. Yeah. She really showed the the flaws of this of this world and in criticism and you know lists i hear that so now i have nothing really to look forward to <laughs> okay because <laughs> you really looked forward to this list <laughs> i looked forward to An- the omittance of blue hill i will say another interesting thing about this list this year is that john george was still in the two star mm-hmm. category mm. so john george was a three-star restaurant for a very, very long time. 2018, he got demoted. Mm-mm-mm. And he's very publicly said he wants that star back. Oh, yeah. There was a big profile of John George and how he runs this giant global restaurant operation in New York Times Magazine last week. And he even talked about it, how it was a big focus for him this year to get that star back. Can and even back. though he was opening all these restaurants, he opened two restaurants on the same day or like within one day of each other. <laughs> yeah. One at the TWA hotel yeah. at JFK. Mm-hmm. One at this giant space on Pier 17 on the waterfront called the Fulton. And then he was saying in the article, but it's still really important to me that I go change the menu at John George so that I can be considered for the Michelin star. And they even called Michelin to say, don't inspect until we put out the new menu. Mm. Which like, if you're Michelin, you're like, fuck you. I can inspect whenever I want. Uh, anyway, it didn't work out. I will say that, though, like, you know, opening restaurants, it's kind of like I don't go to many live music shows, you know, Mm -hmm. but often it's like, wow, two artists I want to see on the same day. You know, things just line up like that. Opening restaurants, bands, whatever. It's all. Well, that was the thing. It was when they were all these both of these restaurants had been planned for years (laughs) and they were saying that he just saw on the calendar one kept getting pushed and one just stayed the same. Like one did not get pushed. Yeah. And so one just got pushed up into the other one and then they ended up the next day. Yeah. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. This uh, is a really good piece. There's a lot, a lot of good intel in there. Just the amount of money that his restaurant organization makes, like almost $200 million. Yeah. It's amazing that that restaurant, like that, I, all these chefs I find have like their their center restaurant that gives power and credence Mm -hmm. to the whole group. Yeah. And it's important for them, like Danielle, John George, uh, Bernadette, Repair, that that restaurant is a three Michelin starred restaurant. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said that they're, they make 25 million on that place, but like they lose money almost just because it's so important for that credibility. And he can't, can't get that third star. Apparently, It says the median number of restaurants for a three Michelin star chef in the United States is two. (laughs) (laughs) And what does he have? Like 50? Yeah. He might not even know, you know? (laughs) No one, no one can know. No one. No one knows. Well, they're not all on earth. Yeah. Who knows? You never know. Uh, One, people have done this article before where they try to track his empire and the takeaway is always that he's very meticulous about how they make the food and how they have these exact recipes. But it was funny to have the journalist in the kitchen watching the chefs measure everything and weigh everything mm-hmm. to the gram on a scale. So when they're making the salad, it's on a scale and they're like adding the kale leaves yeah. to make sure it's exactly 
to the recipe. Have you had, uh, we talked about it last week a little bit with the sushi bro conversation, but have you ever had one of those conversations with, or like, with like super Michelin diners where they're like, oh, I had it. It was good. It seems like a two-star place, not a three-star place. No, we don't run in the same circles. <laughs> I've got, the implication was not that I run in those circles, just that I've, I've overheard those uh-huh. conversations. I will say, I've dined at John George twice in my life. Mm-hmm. One time it was a three-star meal. One mm-hmm. time it was a two. Uh-huh. Ah! <laughs> Okay. Uh, but, you know, I, uh, I'm i pulling for him. I think the one thing that is notable about John George, even though he has this, uh, this massive empire, he is known for always being at his flagship restaurant where he has his podium where he looks overlooks the world and his empire, which I think is cool yeah. and impressive. He also, I like <laughs> that he has breakfast at one of a different restaurant that he owns every day. <laughs> So you know that on Thursdays he's at ABCV and on Wednesdays he's at Mercer Kitchen. Oh, we know that. That's oh in the piece. Oh, my God, yeah. yeah. It's so good. <laughs> uh, he's also, I have to say, very nice. Yeah. Like, I'm, nice nice dude. I'm pro JG. He also hangs out with Alec Baldwin sometimes. Whoa. Monday he eats at Mercer. Tuesday he's at The Mark. Wednesday, ABCV. Thursday, Wild Card. Ooh. Friday, Jean George. Yeah. Do you think he's like, Thurs- <laughs> Thursdays are really fun for me. Pizza Hut is testing out a plant-based meat pizza. Mm-hmm. More importantly. Called Incognito. Yeah. Okay. So that's important thing number one. It's called inc- Incognito. Oh, yeah, it is. Important thing number two. It's served in a round pizza box. Whoa. Yeah. It's funny that this matters. Only available in Phoenix. Yeah. But whatever. Round pizza box. Well, it's just like every time I open a pizza box, I'm like, there's so much wasted space in here. But they're so easy to fold and put together. Can I tell you, give you a quote about this round pizza box? Sure. Quote, this revolutionary round box, the result of a two-year journey, Mm. is the most innovative packaging we've rolled out to date. Wow. The round box was engineered to make our products taste even better. By delivering hotter. Why do they have to get into that Crispier pizzas. Oh, I mean, okay. That makes sense. Hotter, crispier pizza is going to taste better. Yeah, but I don't, I mean, do you believe it? Well, I'm not familiar with other pizza box innovation that's gone on. You know, so like the most innovation in pizza box history is like, this could just be the first one. (laughs) They've never tried to innovate on the box. Yeah. Because it seems expensive. Although, you know what you always hear about pizza innovation is the thing in the middle the table. The table. Yeah. Huge. Was a huge moment in history. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, the pizza box was made and the pizzas were all getting squished. And then you got that beautiful table. Yeah. I chew on those consistently. <laughs> I'm sure that shocks you. Um, yeah. Something like this where we are so used to pizza boxes looking one way mm-hmm. and then we are, you know, this disc just flies into our lives. Oh, wait. Here we go. In 2004, an inventor named John Harvey created a round pizza box called the Pressall, yeah. which never quite caught and on. And he was ostracized from society. Yep. Kicked him out. Yeah. 2010, Apple patented a round pizza box. Apple? They Apple, a, Apple? Yeah. They have a patent on the round pizza box, which has been used in the employee cafeteria ever since. Oh, really? I was hoping it would be like, well, if this cell phone thing doesn't work out. Uh... Like, we could always just use this pizza box thing. Yeah. I think I knew that because I remembered it when Apple announced their new mothership headquarters. Uh-huh. I remember seeing this is part photos of the, news, right? of the pizza box. Yeah. Yeah. 
but Apple was just trying to humanize themselves by looking, being like, "I Apple, we pizza." <laughs> <laughs> you know what else was a notable moment in pizza box innovation? Have you ever had one of those pizza boxes where they're perforated so you can pull it apart and it makes little plates? Oh, I have seen that. Yeah, yep. yeah, that was kind of a flash in the pan. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for listening to Eater's Digest, a fun podcast, a really nice accompaniment uh, to whatever you're doing in the physical world. Anyway, what do you think, Amanda? Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Eater's Digest. You if, sound so earnest when you if say that. You, I am earnest. I know, I know. But I'm you're very like, grateful for our listeners. So am I. If you yeah. have any thoughts for us, want to send us any tips or feedback mm. or personal stories, send us emails at digest at eater.com. Also, please tell a friend about the show. Mm-hmm. Or more. but Or more. But one, if you can do like a targeted attack is on one. someone. Yeah. Special thanks to Maria Sharapova for stopping by the studio and for sharing her lovely candy with us. Mm-hmm. Serving up some goodies now. You know what? Sorry. <laughs> Jeez. I almost made it. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.